Hello, and welcome to Bitcoin Alchemy, the show where we discover how people transmute energy into Bitcoin. Sometimes this is direct, like mining Bitcoin, but other times it's in a surprising way. I'm looking for guests to interview on the show. The topic doesn't have to focus on Bitcoin. However, an intersection with the worlds of Bitcoin and Noster are the stories that I want to share. I would like to progress towards a call-in type of format for the show using Noster Nest in the style of talk radio, where a caller comes on and the discussion goes wherever the moment takes us. Bitcoin Alchemy is 100% value for value. Please zap on Noster and boost or stream sats on podcasting 2.0 clients if possible. Is there a particular person you would like to hear on the show or a topic you want to know more about? Message me on Noster and let me know what you want to hear. With that housekeeping out of the way, let's get on with the show. today we're sitting down to talk to Alex. Alex uh, saw my release on Noster for the pilot episode uh, for the Bitcoin Alchemy podcast. And we were talking about people telling their stories, or I guess you could say stories from, from regular people and not the larger accounts or the influencers that everybody knows. And uh, a lot of people reacted to it. And Alex has agreed to uh, come on and, and tell his story. So Alex, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Roger. Thanks for having me on. Uh, yeah, my name's Alex. I um, So just to preface this a little bit, what me and Roger had talked about was, um, you know, I went through a, uh, a lengthy substance abuse history, um, which started at, a, started at a really young age, about the age of 16. Um, I'm now currently six years sober, just full transparency. Um, I still do advocate for marijuana. Um, I still use marijuana, but as far as, you know, like drugs go, I have, I've abstained for six years. Um, I'm 35 years old. I started when I was 15. So I had, you know, roughly about 17 to 20 years of active drug use with, you know, really my primary MO was, you know, like intravenous heroin and cocaine. Um, I first heard about Bitcoin and I believe it was 2015. I had a friend tell me about it. They, <laughs> they knew somebody that was selling Xanax on Silk Road. They told me about Bitcoin, you know, like most people, I kind of dismissed it around the time. I want to say Bitcoin was around like 250 to $300. Um, and so, yeah, that's, uh, that's, uh, it's kind of the bird's eye view of, you know, what we're going to talk about here. I think it's interesting. Um, as soon as you said 
uh, you found out about it in 2015 and substance abuse, I was like, I guarantee you this is going to be like I found out about it because uh, people are using it to sell drugs, which, of course, you hear stories about. Um, so what was that like? You kind of dismissed it like you just heard about it, but you didn't really pursue anything. Um, I don't know how the order of this needs to go, but uh, you'd mentioned on Noster that it, it, Bitcoin contributed in some way to your recovery. So was it something that, that you used, uh, you know, when you were still using drugs or, or was it something that kind of came after? So it was it was kind of at the end point of my drug use. I wasn't actually like buying drugs on Silk Road or anything. Um, I knew somebody that knew somebody that was selling. Um, and that, that was kind of the end of that at that point in time. So a thing with drug addiction, you know, is it's, a, it's, a, it's an extremely miserable experience. Like nobody caught up in the throes of drug addiction is a happy person. Um, I, uh, you know, I went through, I went through the majority of things that, you know, like would be considered, you know, people realizing their bottom, you know, number of years was a revolving door of, you know, rehabs in jail. Um, I didn't get clean after the first rehab. I didn't get clean after the first time I went to jail. So what happened, that person had told me about Bitcoin. I kind of dismissed it. It was, you know, about a year later where I started, where I got clean. Um, and then about that time, the 2017 craze was happening. I kind of just, you know, jumped on Coinbase and I, you know, like I bought some Bitcoin and I bought some Litecoin and I bought some Ethereum. Um, I then sold, I then sold a lot of it, you know, like six months later and kind of sold half of it and forgot about the other half for a while. And then in 2021, when everything ran up really high to, you know, Bitcoin went up to like $60,000, I was like, oh, wait, I have some of that. <laughs> and, you know, I had luckily purchased it through an exchange that hadn't gone down Coinbase. And I logged into Coinbase and I looked at my balance and I was like, whoa. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, though. Talk, let me also note with that, like, also around that time, I had I had had a buddy that I was really close with that I had actually met in rehab and then was roommates with for a year. And he had just gotten, you know, like exorbitantly wealthy on shit coins. Like I knew this guy pretty well and he didn't have any, he didn't have any money. And then, you know, like all of a sudden he's a millionaire <laughs> and I knew that he, I knew that he was playing with crypto. And so I called him and I didn't understand anything about it. Like I didn't understand it at all. And so I called him and I was like, Hey, what's going on with this crypto thing? Like, how does it all work and everything? And he sent me a couple Binance coins. And this was, this was a week before China announced the China ban during the 2021 bull run. <laughs> <laughs> so his entire wealth came crashing down a week later. Um, then what happened was I, I still followed the space. Like I was still paying attention to everything that was happening in the space. And I was still really obsessed with the technologies, but I was really uh, gravitating, gravitating towards Bitcoin and away from, away from all the shit coins. Like I was identifying a lot more with the maxis than I was 
anything else that had to do with anything in the space. Why do you think uh, that was? Like, is there a personal reason that that was? Because people usually say the opposite at first until they kind of understand what Bitcoin is. So I was, uh, one of my early influences in crypto was a show called The Gentleman of Crypto. They're fairly unknown show. Um, and one of their hosts, his name is Isaiah Jackson. He wrote the book Bitcoin and Black America. I believe he just presented at Bitcoin 2023. Um, and they kind of covered the crypto space as a whole. But ultimately, their core message was, you know, that you should just buy Bitcoin and hold Bitcoin. And those were that was really like my first like there's a difference between Bitcoin and crypto um, acknowledgement. That makes sense. And so you were just kind of lucky that you were listening to them and that was the message. And then it just you resonated more with the, the culture of Bitcoin maximalist, I guess, or the way they spoke about things or you, or you trusted it more. I just like, I, I couldn't wrap my head around, you know, like why any, what any of these other things were doing or why they needed a token. Um, you know, I, I could understand the philosophy of Bitcoin of being hard money of being, you know, un- incorruptible by, you know, the government, it's not controlled by the banks. It can't be debased. Um, it's the most decentralized and I just, but I just couldn't understand what the point of anything else out there was, um, you know, and coming back to like the drug addiction part is when I got clean, I, uh, you know, I had a lot better, you know, I had a lot better opinion of myself, but my opinion of the world was still pretty, pretty, uh, pretty negative and, you know, kind of cyclical. But then, you know, once I really started going down like the Bitcoin rabbit hole and learning about Bitcoin, it actually gave me hope for, you know, the world outside of what was just happening with myself. Yeah, that's I think that's what it does to people. Um, I I don't have your exact background, uh, you know, as far as like the severity of your addiction. But, you know, I'm Gen X, you know, I'm in my 40s and I think, you know, it's a pretty small generation and. And generally speaking, we just sort of uh, dislike and distrust everything. And you start seeing uh, systems that are supposed to help people and they take from people and uh, you just see these patterns and they just repeat and they repeat and they repeat. And it is really easy to get cynical. And then you see something like Bitcoin and in its purest form, you know, it's it's not doing that at all. It's, you know, it, it does give you hope, you know, and think that you can actually help people. And of course, a more positive opinion of yourself you know, is useful too. you know, when you're uh, trying to view the world in a different way, you know, if you don't like yourself, you're definitely not going to like the world. Yeah, exactly. It's, uh, it's like that, it's like that website, hope.com. Um, I really, I really like, I couldn't, I couldn't really find a reason to be excited about a decade from now. And, you know, like Bitcoin gave me that reason to find that excitement, you know, like a decade from now. On top of that, you know, like um, I didn't go what's considered the more traditional path of recovery, which would be, you know, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous or Narcotics Anonymous. So I, I just nothing against that stuff. I just couldn't really relate with it. I couldn't click with it. 
And so I didn't really have a, a big thing about drug abuse is, you know, drug addiction is a, is a lack of connection. You know, you're, you're lacking connection with other people, with the world in general. And, you know, that's really what AA and NA kind of do is they give people that connection that they were lacking when they were in their addiction. And I couldn't really find that there. But where I did find that was I found that in Bitcoin. Yeah, it's interesting you say that. Uh, you know, I've always uh, been anonymous online. You know, I'd always use a name and, you know, wouldn't use my real identity. And I thought uh, for a long time, uh, years actually, of, of doing a podcast. And I would always get into the process. And then I'm like, you know, like, I, I don't want to say this. And, you know, I don't want to be you know, do this and be like an anonymous person or whatever, you know, I don't want to go through all that, you know, what am I going to say? And it, it, you know, Bitcoin, you know, the joke I made when I posted is that if you stay in Bitcoin long enough, you end up hosting a podcast, which seems to actually be true. (laughs) You know, there's a lot of Bitcoin podcasts, Um, but I would not have done it, you know, had it not been for Noster. And and Noster is, is the first thing where you see, for me anyway, when you see everything get tied together and it's like the zaps are just, integrated and it's, you know, Bitcoin and lightning, you know, just actually working and looking at that protocol combined with the Bitcoin protocol, you know, and what's that going to do? And it makes me want to, you know, connect more and it makes me willing to say, you know, it's, it's like privacy is good. Uh, you know, it's good that you, you can kind of be anonymous and, you know, you can say things and, and you don't have to worry about, you know, people judging you personally. But I think there's also something to say for, you know, like with Noster, it's like this impub is my digital identity. And now I'm, you know, attaching my real identity to that, but it's my choice to do that, you know? And, and if I didn't make that choice, I could have stayed anonymous, but I can still kind of prove who I am. But you're right, that connection, you know, to the community, you know, with other people, it does give you hope. And, you know, and Bitcoin's the underlying layer to that. So it's interesting. Like, would you say, uh, you, you said that, that Bitcoin has contributed to, to your sobriety, would you say that's ongoing, you know, like as far as the hope and the connection that it gives you, like in your recovery, you know, for you to not need to, to have like a alcoholics or narco- narcotics anonymous type, uh, you know, connection or routine? Yeah, definitely. Um, I use the orange pill app, orange pill app, shout out orange pill app. Definitely. It's a great resource. Um, I've made two really good buddies in my hometown on orange pill app that, you know, we hang out regularly, you know, like we speak the same language, um, you know, like you can go talk to another Bitcoiner and you guys are instantly going to speak the same language. Like you can't go to your boss and talk up setting up a federation with sediment and using, you know, lightning to do this or that. And they're just going to look at you like, what the hell are you talking about? But, you know, like I can go meet up with those guys and talk to those guys and we're instantly all on the same wavelength. Um, you know, definitely shout out Orange Pill app. It's a great resource for, you know, me. I had, I had a lot of, you know, internet friends in Bitcoin that, you know, like I would regularly talk to, but I didn't have any in real life Bitcoin friends that I could meet up with and go play pool with or, you know, like watch UFC with or whatever. Um, so definitely is, you know, an ongoing, um, it's definitely ongoing treatment for my recovery. That's beneficial. Um, also has any shitcoin ever produced something as significant as Noster yet? <laughs> no, that's, I've, uh, 
uh, we'll put us off on a tangent, but um, I, I don't know. I don't, I can't remember if I mentioned it on the last episode, but something that I think is really interesting about Noster, um, you know, so it's a protocol, it's similar to Bitcoin in that way. And then, and of course, Bitcoin integrates with it, you know, like at its base layer. But what I think is, is very interesting is, you know, it's still kind of young. Um, you, you know, it's been around for a while, but it really just caught traction, you know, last December when Jack Dorsey came in and, and got it some more exposure. And I just, you know, I was in pretty early on that wave and I just keep looking and I'm like, okay, like when are the shit goiners going to show up? And, and, uh, like I saw an account that was supposed to be like Vitalik Buterin and I'm not, I don't know if it was really him, but if it was, he didn't didn't really, my point is like, they're not here, they're not on Nostra and they're not shilling. And, uh, you could speculate as to why, but I think the reason is, um, most, uh, shitcoin projects, you know, their proposition relies on whatever their value proposition is. It's like some kind of a token that does something or other, you know, exchanges value. So you come to Noster and it's like, there's lightning built right in. You can just zap the post, you know, you can send somebody Bitcoin instantly, you know, without friction, you know, you don't need anybody. You don't, you don't have to exchange. You don't have to buy a token. Everything just works. And it's just built in right there in your face when you get there. So I think that Noster, in a way, it's like an, a social media, like kind of like inoculation because they can't come there and really show their stuff because they don't have a value proposition beyond, you know, saying things that their project could do, you know, like buy this token because it's going to go up in value because we're going to do X in the future. Well, like Noster and Bitcoin already do all of that. So how do you come there and, and try to shill? You know, it's, it's, uh, that's why I believe the reason I I hope I'm right. And I hope it stays that way. And, you know, people say, keep Noster weird. And, uh, I was just actually, you know, just talking about that, like the, the, you know, is Noster going to get like messed up as, as more users come in? Well, of course it will, you know, kind of change the culture and, you know, but it, it can't stay small forever either. Like Bitcoin, you know, it has to grow, you know, to thrive. And that means, in some ways it's going to change and not everybody's going to like that, but they're both going to do what they want. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm, I've pretty much stopped posting on Twitter altogether. I mean, I, I still have to go to Twitter for some content to consume some content, but as far as like producing content on Twitter, I'm at, I'm at basically, I'm on zero, basically all my, any content that I, anything that I want to publish, I put out on Noster just because it's more fun. Like, you know, getting a like is, I don't, I don't get any dopamine from that, but you know, getting a zap is exciting. I got it. I got two zaps from Jack like a week ago. Zap jacked me twice. You know, I, I want to figure out how to um, label that UTXO so that, you know, like I can not spend those stats, you know, and they can just like stay in like my little like, you know, their little bu- bubble of that of stats that zaps that Jack zapped me yeah, as he, a tongue twister. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Jacked by zap or uh, that zap jacked you. <laughs> I, uh, yeah. I got some from him as, as well. Like he, uh, he did like one three, three, seven. I was like, Oh, that's pretty cool. And then, uh, I just, uh, you know, you don't get a notification or at least, uh, on Domus, you don't get a notification if somebody follows you. And then I looked one day and it was like, Jack was following me. And I was like, what is he even go- going on right now? <laughs> like, you know, like, like, what did I say? You know, but you're right. Like there's, uh, Jack actually talked about it on a, a podcast. I think it was, it might've been Citadel, dispatcher it might have been mvk's 
Um, but anyway, he was talking about when Twitter came out and, you know, and it was text based and you'd have your phone in your pocket and a tweet would come in where somebody tagged you or whatever and the phone would vibrate. And so it was like his word, I, I think, was it was like a visceral experience. Like, so you felt that in the physical world when somebody interacted with you on Twitter, which, of course, at the time was was kind of this novel, like new idea. But now you get that with zaps, you know, and you and you can set that to vibrate or, you know, give you a notification. But, you know, people, you know, can like your stuff. Uh, but even if some if somebody zaps you, even if it's a small amount, like say it's like a penny or, you know, two cents, whatever it is. You know, it's like somebody had to choose, you know, to part with some value. And, you know, maybe today that value is two cents. But, of course, all of us kind of hardcore believers believe that that in the not too distant future, that's a lot more value, you know. And somebody has to, to choose to do that. And they have to choose to do that, you know, intentionally because of something you said or something you did or, you know, maybe you made them laugh, you know, whatever it is. And I think visceral it is like a good word for it because, you know, you can feel that you can feel that exchange of energy, you know, you go on Facebook or Twitter or something and, and somebody likes something and it's like, you know, it's nice, I guess, uh, if it's somebody that you like, it's sort of a compliment, but it's, it's so easy to do and they can just give out thousands of those, you know, you can't give out thousands of zaps a day without choosing to part with that value, you know, so I think it's more meaningful. Yeah, definitely. On top of that, you know, like I also enjoy zapping, you know, like I'm a big fan of Zero Hedge um, and, you know, like Zero Hedge, everything Zero Hedge posts on Twitter, he also posts on Noster. And, you know, so anytime that I could like read a Zero Hedge article on Noster, like, you know, that's that's a zap that I get to show him, you know, like, hey, I love the content that you put out. Like, I don't just zap every article that I read unless, you know, like, I really feel like they brought value to the table. Have you uh, seen um, uh, Walker uh, on Noster, his uh, article he wrote with the concept of what he calls zap, zap for advertising, zap advertising? I have not. It's a, uh, you know, when you do a zap, you can put a note in there. Most people don't, you know, so like when you look in your wallet, you know, you just, it'll just say zap or it'll say nothing, you know, like whatever, but you can put a note in there. Um, so like this meme that went around the, the footster meme, um, he made like footster.com and every time he does a zap, he's just putting that URL in there and he didn't otherwise promote that website anywhere. And then he wrote this article about all the traffic that the website uh, received just from him putting it in the note in the zaps. And then he had this idea of, you know, what if brands, you know, came to Noster and they, they see, uh, you know, a popular account or a popular post and then they, they zap it, uh, but they have to zap a high amount to make sure they end up at the top of that list. And then they're inserting their, you know, their brand message or their URL or, or whatever as a monetization method, but without having to have, you know, like proper invasive ads, you know, so if you're curious and you go in there to look at the zaps and, and you're like, oh, look, you, you know, like Pepsi is the top one or whatever. And, you know, they zap this guy 100,000 sats. And then you can go in there and if you want to, you, you can look at that message or they're getting their name in front of you. Uh, but they have to pay to do that. Right. So it's like they're paying all this money for marketing anyway. It's like, wouldn't that be a smoother way to do it? Because then you don't have to interact with it if you don't want to, you know, but they can still pay to get that exposure. They're just doing it through zaps directly instead of paying, you know, middlemen to place it. So it's like game theory, um, ad, it's like game theory advertising model. Yeah. I, I thought it was great. I think I'm going to do it, uh, 
you know, like with the podcast, you know, just like insert the URL in there and just see, you know, do, do, do listens go up or does it get a, you know, go out there? You know, at the end of the day, obviously you have to have a good product. You know, if people don't listen to this or they don't like it, uh, you know, that I'm going to stop doing it because I'm, I'm not producing value. I'm not just going to do it. But if you're getting that positive feedback, uh, which so far, you know, one episode in, knock on wood, it's been positive. But I think, you know, if you're going to promote it, you know, it, like you can do that organically. People can just like it and they'll tell their friends. And, you know, I, of course, I can post it on Nostra and stuff like that. But if you're going to pay for advertising, you know, why give the money to Google, or, you know, when you can like give it to somebody else? Uh, who just by, by virtue of being on Noster is probably going to be similarly aligned with you, even if they're not a Bitcoin person per se. Yeah. The, the ability to be able to send, you know, monetary value to anybody in the, in, anywhere in the entire world with instant settlement is going to change things that we, that we can't even imagine. Like people are going to come develop, you know, applications that people are going to be using that, we can't foresee right now. Um, you know, like not Noster's killer app, you know, or however you want to phrase it, what really, what really broadens it and brings a lot more people in, you know, might be something that we can't, we can't even foresee right now. Um, you know, the, it's, uh, it's, 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 part of what makes it extremely exciting, um, you know, being in this system is, you know, just how omnipotent these open protocols are, you know, the ability to build them out and, you know, integrate them and, you know, create these user experiences with its, you know, Bitcoin on light or lightning on Bitcoin and, you know, Noster on that. And then, you know, Fetty integrated into that and all these different layers interacting with each other provide all these services that haven't been haven't been technically even you know able to be done before it's it's going to change things in a way to like you know if you tried to get somebody to foresee what the internet was going to do in 2020 if you had asked somebody in 1995 to you know um to communicate that to you it's just it's just these open protocols that are that are revolutionary technology that they're omnipotent. They, you know, like they expand to anybody that wants to build on them is free to build on them. And, you know, I, that's, it's extremely, um, it's an extremely, extremely valuable service to have to people. Yeah, you're right. You can't often foresee the impact. I think most people in Bitcoin right now in a serious way and on Noster, I mean, we, we all know it's going to do something big and, and we may be right about some things, but we don't really know. I, uh, I've been writing on the uh, Noster kind of blogging platform, Abla.news, and I wrote this article uh, called Bitcoin has this 1994 moment uh, and talking about et- eternal September uh, when Usenet, you know, kind of precursor, you know, to the internet, Usenet forums every September when the college students started they would get access and they would all like just kind of flood Usenet and, and it would sort of become unusable and annoying. And the, the hardcore people that were there all the time didn't like it, but it always kind of went away because, you know, it dropped off and people would start using it. But then when America online and other ISPs started adding access to that and, and internet use continued, it hit this inflection point where uh, it came to be known as eternal September or the September that never ended. And Usenet was just forever changed. Like the culture was taken over 
because they couldn't survive the new people. And I think people on Nostra are afraid of that. You know, it's like, uh, you know, it's so relatively small people right now, but when it hits that mass adoption point, then it's just going to like, you know, kind of devolve and like, you know, like turn into kind of like what Twitter is now. And I think with Noster, it's harder for that to happen, you know, because you don't have a centralized company, you don't have a centralized money, you know, you don't have a token. And it's very easy that if you don't like what somebody's saying, you know, you can just eliminate that and you can just plug into relays, you know, that are carrying the kind of content that you want to see. And, and all of that will get better, too. Uh, but eventually, you know, there needs to be more people, you know, for the network effect to kick in and the, the value proposition to go up. And, and like you say, for that value to be exchanged and, you know, you're just sending it all over the world, you know, at the speed of light, you know, the push of a button. And it doesn't matter, you know, like the protocol you know, Bitcoin, Lightning, Noster, it doesn't care if you're in America and, you know, somebody else is in Russia or Ukraine or China or, you know, insert any, you know, adversary of the week. You know, it's just like users interacting, you know, with technology, you know, just free and open systems. Yeah, I think, um, you know, Noster's greatest strength is also kind of its greatest moment, its greatest weakness at the moment. Um, you know, it's extremely high signal Bitcoin, low noise. It's kind of an echo chamber. What Nostra really needs to grow is it needs content outside of Bitcoin. And, you know, I'm sure it will come one day, um, you know, because if I scroll down my feed right now, you know, it's it's 95% Bitcoin, you know. I try to, I try to you know, post about like sports or cooking or whatever. And I'm actually going to be spinning up a sports relay here pretty soon. So look out for that. There will be a sports relay on Nostra that's dedicated to sports. Um, but when the, when it really starts to grow, you know, that's when I'm, I'm going to be, I'm really excited for the day when Nostra is more than just, you know, Bitcoin echo chamber. Don't get me wrong. You know, like Bitcoin, <laughs> Bitcoin's my favorite subject in the entire world. But, you know, I like most of us, we have interest outside of Bitcoin as well. Yeah, I totally agree. Have you seen um, uh, the survival podcast, uh, his grown Oster hashtag that he promoted? No, so it's, no, I have not. He's addressing exactly what you're talking about. Like, so he's excited about it. Uh, you know, he's into Bitcoin. Uh, he's got a podcast. And, um uh, it's called this, you know, the survival podcast. So you, so you can look it up, but it's like, um, you know, sort of uh, life hacks and like ho- homesteading. I mean, like worm farms, uh, you know, uh, f- things like that, like not necessarily Bitcoin focused. Like there's that component in there. Um, but he would recommend Nostra to people. And the complaint was always the same. You know, this is really cool. And I get why you like it. But it's just a bunch of people talking about Bitcoin. <laughs> so he started this uh, grow Nostra hashtag to where. Uh, you just regularly post. He, he encourages you to try and do it a couple times a day, but just talk about something that isn't Bitcoin and just hashtag grow Noster and then just see the different people, uh, you know, that you meet and the connections that you make. Uh, you know, so for example, I'm interested in, in Bitcoin, uh, but my wife and I also, you know, grow vegetables and, you know, we live on a farm, you know, we have horses, you know, and we do different stuff. Um, so I started posting around that stuff and tagging it. it. It's incredible, like all the different people that you meet. Like I have, I'm in Missouri. I've met some other people on there, you know, who are in Missouri, you know, doing the same kinds of things. And it's like we have Bitcoin in common, but that's not the main thing that we would talk about. So uh, definitely tap, throw that Grow Noster hashtag in there 
you know, when you're talking about other stuff, you I think you'll be surprised, you know, how many different people you meet. They, they're there, uh, but you're right. That signal kind of gets lost right now in, in all of the Bitcoin talk. Yeah, that's good to know. I'll definitely start doing that. I'm really, I'm really interested in, you know, like what the future of relays is, you know, because um, uh, relays was kind of one of the harder parts of me to grasp when I came to Nostra. Like, what is the point of a relay? Like, why would I pay to join one? Um, now that I kind of grasp it, I see what the point is. And I'm really, I'm really excited to see what happens around that. Like, you know, art could we possibly have like a relay conglomerate one day that, you know, has a relay for a paid relay for, you know, like every subject in the entire world that, and, you know, they put out top notch content and, you know, whatever that subjects, you know, expertise are. So it's just, it's just really, it's just really exciting to see, you know, like something other than, you know, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and the potential that it holds. Yeah, I think you could do that, and uh, I'm not going to pretend I understand Noster. I, I love using it. I don't really super understand it, like at the protocol level. Uh, the relays are interesting because that's what enables it to be, you know, decentralized. But you don't just have to use that for social. I mean, that's just a good use case uh, for Bitcoiners for whatever reason. You know, we all end up on Twitter, and you have Bitcoin Twitter, and and. What did, what did everybody want Twitter to do? Like, hey, integrate Bitcoin. Um, you know, can we reduce the advertisements somehow and you still make money? You know, I might be willing to pay for that if you did it in a cool way, you know, whatever. And they're, they're never going to do any of that because they can't, you know, because they're captured just in that, that corporate, you know, kind of publicly traded, uh, you know, spot where they're just, you know, the same for the same reason people say, oh, you know, Apple, uh, Apple computer, they should just put Bitcoin on their balance sheet. You know, it sounds really easy because they have all this money, but it's not really easy um, because of all these like misaligned incentives and, and things that they're, you know, kind of trapped in. Um, but with, you know, Nostra and Zaps and, you know, like podcasting 2.0, like, you know, I've, I've only put out one of these. I'm just shocked, like how many people just zapped it, how many people stream sats and, you know, and sent boosts and stuff. Uh, you know, for content that, you know, you, you can make an argument, uh, you know, we're just sitting here talking about random things, you know, like, there's not really an agenda for this, you know, and it's like, are people going to listen to that? And, you know, some people will, and some people will voluntarily choose, you know, to send value. And, you know, I'm not going to have a subscription service or, you know, like, uh, if there was a Bitcoin Patreon, I might do that, you know, if it was voluntary, you know, but like, I, I, I hate the idea of like locking content behind a paywall. You know, I'm just kind of like, if you put out good content, a certain amount of people, you know, will find value in that and they'll send you value. And, and the ones that, you know, don't find enough value won't, or maybe there's people who, who genuinely can't afford to send anything. And, you know, I, I don't want people who are in that spot to have less options than people who are well off, you know, and it's like, I think it can just average out, uh, you know, in that way. So I, I think you could have relays that, you know, where that are paid like that. I just think that it's got to be voluntary to where it's like, this is sort of our closed little community and this is what we're doing over here. And we have costs associated with that. And if you want to be in this community, you need to pay this, you know, and it's one time or it's monthly or, or whatever it is. And then the person can just decide. Uh, but if it's just like, pay to use Twitter, you know, like, like the way they're doing now where it's like, you get a better experience if you pay or your content gets promoted more if you pay, 
you know, or, or whatever. It's like, that's kind of what the algorithm did before, you know, like I just deleted my Twitter account. Finally, I, I was like, I'm just, I'm not using this anyway. It's like, I still, like you say, I, I still go there to like look at things sometimes, but like there's, there's no reason anymore for me to post on that now that Noster exists. I will say uh, Odell was doing um, for a little while. I don't know if he's still doing it, but he was doing where you would pay, um, you know, whatever a quarter's worth of Satoshi's were to unlock his newsletter. And I completely agree with, you know, like keeping, you know, a lot of content, you know, just available for anybody, whether the, even if they don't have a single Satoshi in their pocket. But I thought the technology was cool, you know, that like I could click a button, generate a lightning, you know, a lightning invoice, and then just automatically pay it through Cash App and unlock the letter. Yeah. I only did it once just because I wanted to see the technology actually work. <laughs> but I I thought it was pretty cool, actually. Yeah, no, don't get me wrong. I, I don't have a problem that other people do it. I'm just saying I don't want to have a Patreon tier where it's like, okay, like one free episode comes out every week. And then if you go in my Patreon and pay at this level, then you get a special episode that only you get. Uh, you know, I don't like to do that. But if somebody's got a newsletter or something or, or somebody's giving value away, like, you know, like it takes a while to write something, you know, and it's like, so you're writing that up and, you, and you're putting that value out there. I don't have a problem with people monetizing stuff and, and lightning definitely makes that less friction. You know, you can just push a couple buttons and, and get past the paywall. I just mean, saying for me personally, I don't want to do that. I, I like the the idea of Noster and just like the value flowing around and, uh, you know, so long as I can, you know, cover cost and put out stuff that hopefully people like, you know, I'll be happy. If it turns into more than that, I'll be happy and pleasantly surprised. Um, but it is a, a harder road to go, um, you know, than just getting into some sort of a, you know, subscription model. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, you said, you had said on your post that what had stopped you from, you know, starting a podcast was like, what could I, what could I possibly have to say about Bitcoin that hasn't been said already? But I mean, the, you know, it's, it's, I said it before, it's completely omnipotent, you know, like every single person in the entire world could be talking about Bitcoin nonstop every day, all day, every day. And still everything would not have been said about it. Just, it's just like the, developments come you know so fast and the ecosystem just always has something going on whether it's you know brc20 drama or you know sediment launching their alpha or you know like a new layer two uh you know with arc or drive chains or this and that you know like it's just it's, it's just it's just absolutely in, insane to see how you know how how many different ways it branches out and you know like all the different avenues that it can take you there's so many things that i care about because of bitcoin that like i wouldn't care about like i wouldn't care about federal funds rates or you know like what's happening in geopolitics or you know monetary history or any of that stuff if it wasn't for you know the the orange pill yeah me too i when I uh, I read the Bitcoin standard, 
and like just learning, you know, sort of how money works and like what the Fed does and like, you know, like what is money and, you know, like why do humans decide that certain things are valuable and like why, why did it become gold and, you know, like not something else. And you're looking at all of that and you're like, why, why do they teach this in school? Like, why don't I know about this? And of course, the answer is if, if you knew about it, like the system would continue, you know, it wouldn't work anymore. You know, like the whole thing would fall apart. You know, they need people and most people, you know, to be ignorant, you know, so the value can kind of flow to the top. And Bitcoin turns all that on its head. You know, I, I come from uh, I've always worked in like technology, you know, information technology type stuff, but I didn't know anything about energy. And then you start trying to mine and you have to learn about energy real quick. You have to learn how to, how to find energy and like, you know, voltages and like, how do you get the right transformer? And, you know, how's all this stuff work together? And I've learned a lot about that, you know, just because I wanted to mine Bitcoin, which I wanted to do because I wanted to get Bitcoin, you know, and it's like uh, it's it makes you you know, even things you may have been interested in before, like, like, you know, you mentioned monetary history, it's like, you might have been interested in that, but you didn't really delve uh, deep into any subject. And then you start thinking like, you know, everything's about Bitcoin, you know, like this, this is like Bitcoin, or I, I read a book that was written before Bitcoin. And I'm like, if Bitcoin would have been out when they wrote this book, there would have been a Bitcoin chapter, <laughs> you know? Right. If, <laughs> If software would have if software would have existed when Nikolai Tesla existed at the same time, oh yeah, um, the energy aspect of Bitcoin is really my favorite aspect. Um, you know, Bitcoin mining as energy optimization technology is really my favorite rabbit hole to go down. Um, how how Bitcoin is affecting energy markets and how you know it can strengthen grids and you know promote energy production and, you know, like push us closer to that Kardashev scale, uh, that Kardashev scale level one, you know, um, I can, I can spend all day in that rabbit hole. Yeah, I can as well. Like, uh, you know, I mine Bitcoin and we have, I'm actually talking to, uh, the board of a, a rural electric co-op tomorrow, uh, because we've identified, um, some imbalance in their system for unutilized substations. And if they will allow us, you know, to mine at those locations, you know, we, we can literally save them several million dollars a year while also securing a, a low rate for ourselves. And then when they need the energy, we can just switch off, you know. And, uh, you know, in Missouri, or at least, uh, you know, rural Missouri, where I'm at, uh, that's kind of a foreign concept right now. But, you know, it's happening in Texas and, and other places. And what's interesting is, is when it goes somewhere uh, like Washington State and upstate New York with the hydro is a good example, and the jurisdiction for whatever reason, you know, becomes hostile towards mining, well, they just pack up and they go somewhere else, you know, it just kind of moves around. So the, the states that, you know, take action and encourage, you know, this and, and get it to come are going to prosper. And the ones that don't are going to suffer. And, and it is fascinating because it's like it it actually saves energy and saves money rather than just, you know, wasting it, which is what some people think when they just look at the surface of what's going on. Yeah. Bitcoin is a pioneer species. Shout out Brandon Quidham. Yeah. Um, if anybody hasn't, if anybody hasn't read Bitcoin is a pioneer species by Brandon Quidham, highly recommend it. It's kind of long. If you don't want to read it, there's a Bitcoin audible of it. But definitely Bitcoin is a pioneer species by Brandon Quidham. It's one of my favorite articles. I think Brandon came up on the, the last episode as well. I like that one. And uh, 
Bitcoin in the fourth turning and, and Bitcoin is the mycelium uh, money, uh, which, you know, sort of related to the pioneer species. But the, the idea of the fourth turning, uh, he actually introduced me to that concept. I hadn't heard of it. And I ended up reading a bunch of books. And, uh, you know, it's fascinating, you know, to look at that historical cycle and, and see the things that have happened in, in America anyway at the, the previous, you know, fourth turnings and, you know, just this volatile time. But the thing that's different this time is we have Bitcoin and, you know, going back to, you know, your idea of hope, you know, wouldn't it be interesting if, if this fourth turning uh, could be nonviolent, you know, what if it was just a, a somewhat peaceful monetary revolution or, or at least not a, you know, a bullets and bombs, you know, kind of war, you know, situation, you know, to, to instill a new order. It gives me hope to think, you know, if we didn't have uh, Bitcoin and, and everything else was the same, what would that world look like? And, and it wouldn't be a very hopeful, you know, future at all. Yeah, definitely. Um, one thing that I've actually found really helpful for my recovery, um, you know, and this is not recovery advice, like not financial advice, not recovery advice, <laughs> is I is a couple times a year, like I, I like to take mushrooms and, you know, like just do some reflection. And <laughs> last time I took mushrooms, I, I, I just thought about Bitcoin for like three hours straight. <laughs> like my mind was just going in all these crazy different directions about, you know, like how, how like mitochondria and, you know, Bitcoin mining and all the, uh, all the similarities between the two. But yeah, it's, it's just, it's, it just floors me that the narrative is, you know, Bitcoin is bad for the environment when in all reality, Bitcoin is, you know, the greatest ESG tool that mankind has discovered to date. Um, you know, Jason Williams, who I don't know what the hell he's thinking with all this Pepe shit, but whatever, he has an amazing company. <laughs> He has an amazing company that, you know, what they do is they have a facility and are you familiar with this? Uh, the tire, yeah, the, the tire uh, facility. Yeah. Thermal, uh, deconstruction, I think it's called where they, they essentially break the, break the tire down into its base elements and, and then mine Bitcoin with the gases that are released. Right. So tire, used tires are a huge problem. Um, you know, in America alone, I want to say 350 million used tires a year that are discarded. Yeah. I want to say in America alone, it's 350 million tires a year are discarded and tires are not biodegradable. If you, you know, if you throw them in a fire, then, you know, they ex extremely bad fumes for the environment. Um, if you bury them, they never burn or they never biodegrade. If you throw them in a pile, they're just going to sit there forever. So Jason Williams, I, and I love this about Bitcoin. This is one of my favorite things to like throw in people's face when they say Bitcoin is bad for the environment. And, pe and there's these landfill landfills full of ASICs. Like how many ASICs do you think exist in the world compared to, compared to old personal computers? <laughs> but anyways, like, so there's these landfills full of ASICs that are, you know, like destroying the environment. It's like, okay, if we're throwing away a hundred thousand ASICs, but we're, you know, we're ethically getting rid of, you know, 5 million tires. Where is the cost benefit ratio there? You know, like the 5 million tires that have, that, you know, are never, ever going to biodegrade. 
and you know like only a small portion of them is recyclable or the ASIC where you know like another portion of it is recyclable but is taking up a vast amount less space than the used tires just like and there, there's so many stories about that you know like the capturing methane gases from you know like uh, landfills and using those methane emissions to mine bitcoin you know it's just uh it's just it just shows me how like ass backwards the world really is that the narrative is bitcoin is bad for the environment because it produces so much energy but yet here we are capturing all this methane ethically discarding of tires balancing energy grids you know incentivizing renewables and you know but bitcoin is bad for the environment yeah i think uh people see what they want to see and uh, confirmation bias is a real thing. Like you said earlier, you know, it's like not Nostra's sort of a Bitcoin echo chamber. And uh, I think there is value in like getting outside of your echo chamber. I recently uh, encountered somebody in the real world and they were, they had evaluated Bitcoin, they're a technical person and they came to the conclusion that it wastes energy, you know? So this is a person that I can't just dismiss their opinion, you know? And it, it does make you think. And, and whenever that happens, I try to step back and I try to say, okay, you know, like, a, am I too close to this? Am I, am I missing something? I think everybody who's, who's car, hardcore into Bitcoin at some point, probably several points, has just said, you know, am I crazy? <laughs> like, am, am I actually crazy? But then you, you look around at what's happening and you look at how long it's been now. And it's like, if this is, a, you know, a, a, hallucina a hallucination or something, it's like like the whole world is doing it and it's not going away. And, and there's so much value um, captured in it now. It's like, how does that go away? Uh, you know, I just don't, I don't see how you do it. And, it. and it's, you know, worldwide, international, you know, like you mentioned the, the China ban, it's like, you know, they ban it and all of the miners just either hide or move somewhere else. And it's like everybody was saying, like, when that was going on, they were like, oh, it's going to be 24 months. Uh, you know, difficulty is going to be way down. It's going to take forever for this to recover. It was like five months or something, and it was like back higher than it was. It was like, how did that even happen, you know? Like, we were getting emails, uh, like, from Chinese people, uh, like, just, just very broken English and just basically being like, you know, I have ASICs, you know, like where, where put, how much, <laughs> you know? And it's like, you just thought it was a spam email, but it wasn't, it, it was actual miners in China and they were just trying to figure out like, where am I going to take these things? You know, cause they got all this value in it. Like they're not just going to throw them away. If the government uh, is going to let you get out with them or, or if you have a way to get them out, like you're going to go run them somewhere or you're going to sell them and then somebody else is going to run them. You're not just going to throw it away if you have a choice, <laughs> you know? Yeah, when it when it comes to questioning Bitcoin, one of the things that I was worried about was, you know, the block subsidy and network security. I was one of those people that, you know, like, I was like, oh, you know, really the only thing that makes me nervous is, you know, like, are these miners, you know, are they going to be incentivized enough to, you know, uh, secure the network? And then I started learning about the redistribution of low-grade industrial heat from miners and how you know all the different ways that that can be used, whether it be heating your pool or heating your house or a fish hatchery or, you know, um, distilling whiskey. There's, there's thousands of applications, tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of applications of low-grade industrial heat. 
And I honestly believe that, you know, when the block subsidy goes low enough, for one thing, transaction fees will be higher, which we're already experiencing right now. Um, but that miners are honestly going to be perfectly fine with mining Bitcoin at a negative ROI just because it will be the most viable solution that they can still come up with for either, you know, monetizing excess energy or, you know, needing to use low-grade industrial heat. So I was actually in Louisiana. I used to work for a solar company, and we were uh, working with some some residential areas to set up solar, which is being in the solar industry is kind of what got me really into the energy aspect of Bitcoin. But in Louisiana, in solar, there's something called net metering, which is your excess energy gets sold back to the grid and the power company will pay you for any energy that you produce that you don't use. In Louisiana, they only do 20% net metering for excess energy. So they'll only give you 20 cents on the dollar for any extra energy that you produce. A lot of states are dollar for dollar. It varies from state to state, but in Louisiana, it's only 20%. So like here I am working in my field that doesn't have anything to do with Bitcoin, but yet I'm like head on with this situation where it's like, oh, Bitcoin fixes this, you know, for the thousandth time in my life. Yeah, it's you start to see it everywhere. Uh, I have a friend uh, who's an attorney. And one of his uh, clients is a large landfill in, in Pennsylvania, and they get a lot of trash, you know, from the larger cities. And uh, at a landfill, you know, when the organic materials break down, uh, you know, in the bowels of the landfill, it releases methane, you know, just like a, an oil well, you know, when they're bringing the oil up. The difference is at a landfill, it just sort of comes up wherever it wants, not where you drilled the well. Um, so they have to put in these elaborate gas capture systems, you know, so they can then catch the methane gas and then run it to a flare and burn it, you know, just like an oil well. And uh, so the energy companies come in and they, they do the same kind of thing. They'll say, well, you know, we'll put these generators down here. You know, you pump us the gas. We'll buy the gas off you. We'll make electricity. We'll sell it into the grid. Well, they were getting like a tenth of a cent uh, per kilowatt hour while they were selling into the grid and just making a killing. And they, they had them in like a 10-year contract. So, of course, during the 10 years, they figured out what a bad deal they're getting. And when they made the deal, they didn't know about Bitcoin, and now they do. Um, so as soon as the energy company's out of there, uh, they want to know, you know, if we put some generators here, you know, can you just consume this electricity and we'll just get rid of the grid interconnect and we'll just, like, literally take trash and make Bitcoin. <laughs> so, like, yeah, we'll do that. You know, but that's a, even at a larger landfill, it might be a smaller scale. Uh, but like literally taking trash and turning it into Bitcoin, it's like, you know, I would work on that for free just because it's it's awesome. <laughs> you know, it's like yeah, definitely. To Bitcoin. Yeah, definitely. Um, some other cool ones I've heard of is uh, there's a coffee farmer, I want to say in Guatemala. And part of coffee farming is uh, you have coffee husk and they discard these husks. The husk, um, you know, they release methane. The coffee farmer ca- captures that methane, converts it into Bitcoin. And then uh, there's a pig farmer, I want to say it's in Mexico, I believe, and, you know, uh, turns the manure into fertilizer, releases methane, same thing, captures the methane, monetizes it. And I'm uh, the mining sector is 
there's two things I'm extremely excited about in Bitcoin. Uh, one of them, you know, like the innovations that are going to continue to occur in the mining sector. And then, you know, like things like Fediment and Noster. Um, I'm really, really excited about Fediment. Yeah, I think that, you know, we, we don't know where this goes. We really don't. I know that Bitcoin miners are going to try to find the best rate on energy and it's competitive and they're willing to follow it around. And like e- even the area that I'm mostly dealing in now, you know, with OnGrid, uh, you know, they deal in, in load factor, you know, of a residential substation just serving a community. It's going to maybe have a, a 50 or 60 percent load factor. Uh, you know, of efficiency because it's just up and down and, you know, at night when most people are sleeping, like not a lot's going on. And then, you know, in summer you got air conditioners and winter in some areas you have electric heaters and in some areas you, you have hardly any electrical use because people heat with gas or something else, you know, but with a Bitcoin mine, you know, you throw that on there and you're going to be 90% or greater load factor all the time. You know, it's just always running unless it's broken or, or if the grid is down and even this many years in, you know, just talking to some of these people, they they can't get their head around, you know, a power consumer that's just on all the time like a data center. But then if they need that power, I can just literally throw the Frankenstein switch and turn it off. And, you know, while I don't want to do that, it, it doesn't really hurt anything. It just means I'm not getting Bitcoin, you know, but to get that lower energy rate, that makes, you know, sense for us. And it's it's driving rates down you know, like overall, and I think it'll continue to do so as it matures and more utilities, uh, you know, are made aware of the opportunity and it becomes more normalized. You know, you're going to see things like that and and like your solar opportunity, you know, that you saw and things like the landfill. And, you know, of course, it's already happening, you know, in oil and gas. It's just like wherever that that uh, waste in the system is, Bitcoin just comes in and fixes it. Yeah, the unforeseeable opportunities in Bitcoin is immense. You know, who had on their 2022 bingo card, you know, Jason Lowry coming out with software? Um, you know, it's a wild pizza. You know, it's extremely hard to grasp. Um, it's extremely dense information. But I believe that, you know, even if it's not 100% accurate, just, you know, like throwing all these theses out there as, you know, like, you know, like, hey, let's question everything and look at, you know, like, let's, like, let's not try to put square pegs in round holes, but, you know, let's, let's look at all the different implications, you know, like how, how, how wide is this thing, um, you know, how wide of a net can this thing actually cast? Um, you know, I find all these kind of like offshoot niche um, uses of Bitcoin other than BRC20s, I do not like BRC20s. Um, I find all these, you know, ideas about Bitcoin, like I find them just really, really fascinating. You know, um, I can't really, I can't really uh, conceptualize exactly what Jason Lowry is saying as far as implementing Bitcoin in the sense of national strategic, like what that would look like in real life, like, um, you know, maybe safeguarding systems with huge amounts of Bitcoin mining and you would have to overcome that mining. I don't know. It's hard for me to conceptualize, but, you know, just, just studying these things and learning about them and listening to, you know, what people think around these ideas, you know, I'm not a systems engineer, so I'm by no means in any position 
to say if Jason Lowry is, you know, if his thesis is correct or if it's wrong. But I love, I love listening about it, you know, just. Yeah, I think I, to me that what I don't like about that is the whole idea. It's like uh, the Bitcoin is a weapon idea. It just makes me, you know, that raises my kind of red flag antenna to say, is this just, uh, you know, sort of some kind of a psyop, you know, to make people think about uh, Bitcoin is dangerous, you know, to support some other future narrative attack or ban, you know, like the way uh, the Biden White House put out the, you know, proposed 30% tax on mining, uh, you know, which isn't likely, you know, to get implemented, but it just puts out this narrative and this idea into the general public's mind that, oh, this, this must be a waste of energy. And then it, it makes everything uh, kind of in America anyway, kind of partisan, like red team, blue team, you know, pick your side, uh, you know, and that kind of thing. And, and uh, you know, I, I interviewed another guy. It hasn't come out yet, but he's a, a former Missouri state representative, you know, and uh, he says, uh, you may not care about politics, but politics cares about you. But Bitcoin doesn't care at all, <laughs> you know, and it's it's true. It's, you know, I think I'm coming around to the idea that that at the local level, you can, you know, you can probably make an impact. I just think we have to be careful uh, with not letting other people set the narrative, you know, um, you know, to me, Bitcoin is freedom, you know, maybe to Jason, Bitcoin is a, is a weapon, you know, and maybe to somebody else, you know, Bitcoin is rat poison squared, <laughs> you know, it's like, but Bitcoin doesn't really care what any of us think, you know, it just exists. Yeah, I, I understand. He addresses that too. He says that, you know, like Bitcoin's a weapon in the same way that like, you know, GPS is a weapon, you know, like, according uh, like, if, according to the Pentagon, you know, like GPS system is a weapon system. We use GPS to get from our house to Domino's, you know, but <laughs> right. they still they still classify it as a weapon system. It's just a term that he uses because it's in his field. I understand where people get worried about, you know, like we're already teetering on this, you know, like is Bitcoin ethical kind of balance that we're playing out because of its energy use, because of its past associations with things like Silk Road. So we're already, you know, like we already have to have all these good actors like, you know, like Troy Cross and Natalie Burnell and, you know, all these people that are, um, you know, that, that have these long resumes of good intentions, you know, that are advocating for Bitcoin. And then we have somebody through system you know it's uh it, it can't be a trigger word i understand um you know it's just it's just all it's just all fascinating to me yeah i think uh you know i i just try to respect everybody else's opinion i don't like brc20 either uh but i think they have every right you know if they want to pay for block space and, and they want to put jpegs in there you know that's their business uh i don't think that's the best use of block space but you know, for a few day, days there, we made more money mining Bitcoin, so I guess that's okay. You know, and the fees, uh, there were some blocks where the fees were more than the block reward, which was kind of crazy. One thing I will say about ordinals is I, you know, I don't care about JPEGs. I've never bought an NFT in my life. Even, you know, in my short, my Bitcoin, my Bitcoin maximalist tenure is now longer than like significantly longer than like my shitcoining era was. But... I never bought an NFT. I never got into NFTs. I could kind of see the appeal in them, 
you know, especially if there was like a physical object attached to it, you know, if you like bought a, a JPEG NFT that actually came with like a physical art piece that you could hang on your wall as well. Um, but one thing I will say about ordinals that I do like about ordinals is this makes Fahrenheit 451 completely, um, you know, like it, it, it makes Fahrenheit 451 not possible. You could take information that, you know, like the government wants scrubbed from the face of the earth, minted on the blockchain, and then there's nothing they can do about that. But that also, you know, could be a double-edged sword where, you know, like they could use that as a way to, you know, attack the blockchain and say that it's unethical, whether it be through, you know, like just minting, you know, like, um, you know, like like unethical things on the blockchain that, you know, nobody should be looking at. Yeah, there was... Uh, I think this was, it's probably been a couple of years ago now, but it's in the, the op returns uh, code, like in, in big, people are putting things in the op return. And if I remember cor- correctly, they were saying it was like people were like essentially encoding, encoding child pornography or a link, you know, to it or something like that. And uh, I don't think anything ever really came of that. But like, I, I agree with you. I think you could if the government or somebody, a bad actor wanted to, they could say, you know, look at this. And, you know, there isn't anybody to give a, you know, a court order to, there isn't anyone to arrest. There isn't any way to remove this, you know, and it's violating these laws and then just try to use that as a, a platform. And then everybody running a node is in possession of child pornography. Yeah. It, it could go to, you know, extremes like that, which is, you know, I, I was, I've, I've done a complete like kind of 180. Like, so a few months ago, if you would have asked me about politics in general, I would have just said, you know, it's a waste of time. It's a lost cause. It's done. You know, just ignore it. Bitcoin doesn't care. And then, uh, you know, through this, this guy I mentioned, uh, who's done an episode with me, he's a former, you know, Missouri state rep. And he took me up there and he introduced me to some people. I talked to some lobbyists and stuff. And, uh, you know, I think me, most people think of lobbyists, like, like the way, you know, people give, uh, attorneys a hard time. It's, you know, it's just like this predatory business and, and I'm sure it is in many cases, but the thing that blew my mind is like Missouri is considering this, uh, legislation to protect mining, you know, classify Bitcoin mining the same as a data center, you know, to say, uh, people using Bitcoin are not money transmitters. Uh, you know, if you're mining Bitcoin at your house, your neighbor can't use a noise ordinance against you that's applied differently than than if you had a motorcycle or, you know, disturbing the peace, you know, you know, just all of these um, sort of basic protections. And then I'm talking to the people that are going to vote on this. And it's like they don't really understand what Bitcoin is. They don't really understand what the law does. You know, and it's like then there's these lobbyists that are, that are being paid to advocate for it because you, you have to sort of pay them and then they go and they talk to the the legislator and then they don't you know fully in some cases fully understand it you know and, and you know they're asking me questions and so like i'm answering the questions and i'm just sitting there thinking like i don't i don't understand like how is this they even get this far you know if people don't understand they had some people come and testify they didn't have any bitcoin miners there i'm like this protects bitcoin miners why are there no bitcoin miners there you know so I've now come to realize that the federal government level is probably lost, you know, but I think at the state level, you know, you can make an impact because they just need to understand like, you know, uh, what an opportunity it is, you know, for any state, you know, that wants to embrace it and, you know, and track this and and help it to foster, you know, and I've kind of come to believe, um, 
I think it does need to be protected, at least in the short term, because the current system, you know, isn't going away. And as much as I would love there to be hyper Bitcoinization, if that happens, you know, you're talking about some really hard times, you know, for most of the world. And, uh, you know, so what, you know, so, so you're the richest guy in the neighborhood, but everybody's like shooting at each other, you know, so it, it would be nice if, if that happened a little slower and in a stable, like more controlled way, you know, so I, I'm trying to engage a little bit more in that process at the state level and then just try to use that as a buffer, you know, against the federal level. It's like, you know, you pass a Bitcoin mining ban, well, no, then Missouri's going to say, no, we already have a law that, that says it's perfectly fine. Like the same thing that's happening, you know, with cannabis now, you know, it's it's legal, illegal at the federal level, but many states have said, you know, it's just fine. And there's just this sort of gray area where the state can do what it wants. Yeah, the, the best thing anybody can do for Bitcoin that is a Bitcoiner is educate other people on what Bitcoin is. Um, I remember the founder of Vesting Energy, the people that do the landfill methane emissions, he said that he had a uh, board member ask him, like, well, how do you actually know that there's Bitcoins in the landfill? Oh, <laughs> you know, so. Oh, my gosh. Don't. So we're. We're still a long ways away from most people understanding. All right. I'm, I'm not going to name who, but there's somebody listening to this and you know who you are. Uh, this person works for a very large uh, American mining company. And when I say large, like, like big. And they had uh, some prominent people from the state that this was in taking a tour of the facility. And uh, there were politicians there. And uh, they went through the whole spiel. They're standing in the middle of this thing, like thousands of ASICs, floor to ceiling, you know, like they're all wearing the ear protection, all that. They're looking through the whole thing. And then they get into the quiet area and they've gone through the whole tour. And he says, uh, does anybody have any questions? And this, uh, this politician said, uh, yeah, just one. Um, how, how deep do you have to dig to get to the Bitcoins in this mine? <laughs> and, he was, and, he, and he was serious. <laughs> yeah. He, he said every, everybody was like bleeding out of their eye sockets, trying not to laugh and trying to figure out like, how do I answer this question without creating like a very bad situation? <laughs> that is hilarious. Yeah. We, we're still a long ways from most people uh, understanding really, even having just like a fundamental understanding of Bitcoin. Um, I mean, we live in our echo chamber as Bitcoiners, so you just have to remember that, like, we are in an echo chamber, and most of the people around us are not thinking about any of the things that we're thinking about. Yeah, I, I'm grateful that a lot of people uh, that I know in the in the physical world and don't know a lot about it, um, and they'll you know question ask me questions when I talk about it, uh, not allow me to talk about it all the time, you know, which I, which I do. But like, uh, you know, sometimes the question they ask me, it makes me think about it differently and makes you question yourself. And I mean, you know, I, I like to think I know a lot about this, but, you know, I just I found out about it in 2013, dismissed it until 2017. And then when I refound it again, I immediately started mining Ethereum and thought I was a genius, <laughs> you know, so right. it's like and everybody's got some variation of that. I don't think I've uh, I, I, I met one guy um, who uh, didn't really do shit coins and has never sold Bitcoin. And I believe he's telling the truth, but everyone else I think had to have some sort of a, you know, a path that they walked where they just made all of these mistakes and, you know, probably lost some money or wasted some time. 
Yeah, I definitely believed way too much in some shitcoin that went to zero. Hundred <laughs> <laughs> percent. Yeah, and it, and it's like it sucks, but it, in a way, it's good because it's like you know you kind of know what to watch for, and it's like when you're looking at the messaging from Bitcoin, it's like hmm, it's like no company, no CEO, no figurehead, no foundation, no board of directors. You know, it's like right, hundred percent. Yeah, it's kind of hard. You know, it's like I want. It's like find something wrong with this. It's like it's kind of hard to find something wrong with it. Yeah, for sure. Um, we didn't. We just kind of barely talked about you know addiction at the beginning. You know, um, you know, Bitcoin really played into you know like where I like I, I realized more and more how much like. Bitcoin is anti-drug addiction. Like, you know, like drug addiction is slavery. It's bondage. Bitcoin is freedom. Drug addiction is, you know, like me personally, like I didn't want to be alive, you know, like I was suicidal and too scared to do anything about it, you know, and, you know, Bitcoin is hope, you know, I was, you know, completely, I was completely attached to, you know, like wherever, whatever I had to go to do drugs. Like I was not a sovereign individual. Like I was attached to the drugs and, you know, like Bitcoin gives you the opportunity to be your own sovereign bank. And, you know, like I was, my bank was my drug dealer, (laughs) you know? So it's just, it's just, you know, like I don't, there's a lot of things that Bitcoin fix fixes and you know like i don't know if bitcoin can fix drug addiction and alcoholism but i strongly believe that it could significantly decrease the amount of drug addicts and alcoholics that we have just just based on the fact that it can produce a more abundant world yeah and uh what you said earlier too really hit me i have to think about it more to know everything i think but like uh, you know, for you, you know, like the the Narcotics Anonymous, you know, it didn't really fit, you know, and that works for a lot of people, which is why it's so successful, but it didn't really work for you. Uh, but all it really is, is that sense of community and support. And you found that, you know, in the Bitcoin community, you know, which I think is interesting that, you know, it, it doesn't really matter where you get that. Well, I guess that's probably as good a place to as any to end it, you know, we're over an hour here. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time and sharing your perspective and, and talking about things, uh, that a lot of people probably wouldn't like to talk about publicly, but, you know, I think some of your experiences and the way you look at this, I think if somebody is, you know, struggling, you know, with an addiction, like hopefully it will help them if nothing else to know that there's other people out there that have overcome it. And it's very interesting to see how Bitcoin, played into that for you. So I really appreciate you coming on and telling your story. Yeah, definitely. Appreciate you having me. Um, my impub will be in the show notes, correct? That's right. And anything else so, you yeah, my, want in there? <laughs> yeah, no. So, um, yeah, BTCG at Bitcoin Energy on Noster. Um, you know, if you, if you ever need resources about where to go to help somebody with drug addiction or you yourself just need somebody to talk about, you know, like, go ahead, feel free to DM me. Um, you know, if you are in that world, it's, there's definitely a way out and, you know, just do what you got to do. And your money is better off in Bitcoin than it is in drugs. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 
I, uh, as Odell would say, I co-signed that message. <laughs> For sure. All right. Well, appreciate it, Giga. Have a great afternoon. All right, man. You too. Thanks, man. Bye. All right, bye. Turn up the head.